dear seniors, our beloved seniors, congratulations. Congratulations. You've officially completed high school. Congratulations. It's a, it's a glorious and, and joyous moment. And as you take this next step, as you move on to this next season of life, we as a congregation, we want to send you off with a final exhortation. We want to conclude your time as a student with one last uh, sending you off with encouragement and hope from God's word. And, and with that desire in our hearts as a congregation, we will be in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. And so let's go ahead and read our passage, pray, and dig in. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, at your throne there is grace. At your throne there is mercy. At your right hand, Father, is your Son who intercedes on our behalf unto the uttermost. And if you are for us, good God, what can be against us? And so, God, we come asking for spiritual wisdom and understanding, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would give us ears to hear and receive your word with faith and obedience and joy. And so, Father, use this time now. Use this time that these students might finish the race. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at the very heart of our passage, uh, the, the main point, what everything else in this passage is seeking to support is found in the second half of verse 1. So go ahead and look there with me. The author urges and, and he exhorts these believers and he says this, let us, he's, he's, he's gathering up, let us run with endurance the, the race that is set before us. And it's with this exhortation, this main exhortation, the author introduces to us a common image used in Scripture to describe the Christian life. And that is the image of a race. In fact, this picture of an athlete running a race and, and competing in some sort of rigorous contest and competition is one of the most predominant images used in Scripture to describe the Christian life. Hence, when the Apostle Paul himself, when, when he's about to die uh, and he reflects on his life as a whole, he thinks of it in terms of, 
of a race. In uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, he's writing to a young pastor. And Paul tells this uh, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. Think contest. Think competition. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he says, therefore, there's this crown of righteousness. It's laid up for me in heaven, and God the judge is going to award me with that. And so when the author says, let us run the race set before us, he's talking about finishing the race of the Christian life. In other words, what the author wants most is for us and the believers here to stay faithful, to stay believing, to stay trusting, to stay obeying, to stay worshiping Christ until the end. And, and it's with our beloved graduates in mind today that we share the same burden we want to one day see them in glory we want to see their smiles and hear their laughter and see their joy we want them to behold the fulfillment of every promise given to us in scripture we want to see that day we want them to finish the race, and we want to finish right alongside them. And so to, to finish this race of the Christian life, the, the passage here shows us that we have four needs, four crucial needs if we're going to finish well. And the, the first need we have is motivation. We need to be energized. We need to be strengthened to reach the end. And that motivation is given to us in verse 1. Look there again. The author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, according to this author, then there is something about being surrounded by a, a great cloud, a great host, a great multitude of, of witnesses that can motivate, that can compel us to finish. And so the, the question is, who are these witnesses? And what's so special? What's so significant about them? How are they going to provide us with the kind of motivation to never stop following Jesus? And to answer that question, we must turn back uh, to the preceding chapter. See, in chapter 11, we have what some have endearingly called the Hall of Faith as opposed to the Hall of Fame. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, the author, he compiles this long list, this long list of men and women who've exercised great faith. And to grasp the, the significance of this list and, and why it's going to uh, propel us forward, why it gives us motivation, uh, I thought we'd do just a, a brief review. And as we do, I want you to take special note of how the phrase, by faith, comes up again and again and again. So starting in chapter 11, verse 3, Actually, these references are in the cross-reference section on the sheet. The author begins this extraordinary testimony. Listen to what he writes. He says, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. By faith, 
Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Noah constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place to receive an inheritance. By faith, Sarah herself uh, received power to conceive even when she was past the age. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on the dry land, as on dry land. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish. And he's just going on and on. He's like, what more could I say if I keep going on this like this? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, how'd Samson get in there? Jephthah, uh, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. And so as the author, he's just piling up these examples, one on top of the other. He's saying, look, look, by faith, by trusting God, saints, you can cross Red Seas. You can have children at 90 years old, if that's what you're into. You can shut the mouth of a lion. You can build an ark when no one understands why. You can conquer kingdoms. You can get cut in two and not renounce Jesus. That's how powerful faith is. That's how powerful faith is. But putting it better, that's how faithful God is to those who just will trust him. And so when the author says, since we have all these great cloud of witness surrounding us, he's not saying that these saints are up in heaven sitting in a stadium eating popcorn and spectating. No, he's encouraging. He's saying, look, look at what God can do with weak, inadequate Sinful people like us, like Samson. If only we just trust and obey him. If only we would just believe and count on his promises. And so the, the first, first to, to finish the race, to end well, we need to know and believe that God can and will do powerful things through our faith. Now, the next need we have is mentioned in verse 1 as well. Look there again with me. The author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. In preparing for this sermon, I did some research to find out how Olympians train. And I came across this doctor who over a few year period, he researched and he interviewed over 50 different Olympic athletes. And it was an interesting article. And when talking about the amount of time 
and focus required to be a successful Olympian, he he gives a few examples. He, He first talks about Michael Phelps, and he says, according to his coach, Phelps coach, Bob Bowman, Phelps didn't miss a morning practice, morning, early morning practice, from the age of 11 through 16 years old. He would practice on Sundays, birthdays, and Christmas mornings to keep his competitive edge. And this actually makes me think of our very own Kent Markham. If you don't know this about him, from the age of four until I think, believe, 21, he shot a basketball every day of his life. And get this, on his wedding day and on the day after. (laughs) Now, he's no Olympian, okay? But praise God for his diligence. Uh, your parents lied to you. You can't do anything you want. Uh, okay, uh, I'll sign up. Then the author, he, he goes on to give another example of this type of intense focus. He gives this other example. He talks about Simone Biles, who's the most decorated gymnast in history. Uh, quote, before starting high school, Biles switched to homeschool in order to boost her training hours. Remember, this is middle school. From 20 hours a week, because that wasn't enough for a middle schooler, to 32 hours a week. At the age of 19, she then set the national record for the national record for the most gold medals in women's gymnastics at a single Olympic Games. And the author goes on to mention more examples, but then he makes this concluding statement: quote, during every, an average day. Uh, And if an Olympic athlete is not sleeping, eating, or recovering, they are typically in the gym or on the field honing their craft. And I I bring up these Olympic athletes, and and I talk about their their focus, their singular, single-minded focus, because the picture here given to us by the author is of an athlete preparing for a race. In the same way, Michael Phelps and uh, Simone Biles and uh, laid aside every distraction and, and every possible hindrance to accomplishing their goal, the Christian is to do the same. Put another way, we need single minded focus. And I think this is why, why this image, why is this image of a race so often used in Scripture to describe the Christian life? Why? I think it's because as we consider the way competitors will just push and push and push into the very edge of their capacities, the the way they will organize their entire lives around preparation and training for a competition, they they follow strict diets, they endure rigorous training regimens, they, they try to get the best sleep, they don't miss morning practices. They they try to optimize every possible variable they can control for one singular purpose, right? To win a gold medal. Or in ancient days, as Paul would say, a perishable wreath. And, And the author says here, the author says, if we're going to finish our race, 
If we're going to follow Jesus until the end, if we're going to obtain that imperishable wreath and that crown of righteousness and the joy of everlasting heaven, if we're going to win that race, we must live the same way. We must live with this laser focus, this undistracted mindset, this I will remove whatever it takes type of mentality. And that approach to life looks like, the author says, laying aside every weight and sin. Now, the verb uh, to lay aside is common in the New Testament. Uh, The verb here can mean to just take off pieces of clothing. Uh, But the New Testament writers particularly, they they love this this verb. They use it figuratively to describe the act of getting rid of sin in your life. For example, in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, the apostle Paul writes, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off, same word, the works of darkness. And not only Paul Uh, But James uses it the same way. In James chapter 1, verse 21, he writes, Therefore put away, same word, all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And, And there's other examples as well, but I think it's clear. To lay aside something, it means to throw it off, cast it off, get rid of it. And in our passage, the author says to have the focus To have that single-minded intensity, we must get rid of two hindrances, two distractions. And the first he describes as a weight, a weight. Uh, Last service, a gentleman came up to me and said, hey, there was a great image uh, for that. He said, uh, imagine a runner starting the race with a TV strapped to his back. And in other words, a weight is anything and everything that slows you down. So this doesn't mean it's necessarily sinful. For example, some athletes operate best at a higher body weight, while another competes best at a lower body weight. But each seeks to optimize themselves. They want to get the best weight they can run the best at. And it's the same for the Christian. For some, you check your social media like once a day. You get to see pictures of your cute little grandbabies and maybe your children, and then you're done with it. But those of us under 65, (laughs) let's be honest here, will spend hours and hours scrolling and scrolling and scrolling until our eyes are red and our hearts are left anxious and discontent and envious. So then, for one, social media is a weight that hinders the running. For another, it's not an encumbrance at all, and God bless you. And so, listen, the question is not, is this thing a sin? Is social media a sin? Is is this or that a sin? Fill in the blank. That's, That's not the question. The question is, does it help me run? Does it maximize my my joy and my peace in God? 
Does it make me love and long for Jesus more and more? Does it make me more humble and gracious and wise? Does it increase my devotion? Does it help me run? That's, that's the question we ask about everything in our lives when we live with single-minded intensity and focus. Does it help me run? Whether it's our spending habits, our hobbies, our entertainment choices, our diets, our budgets, does it help me run? Not is it a sin. So brothers and sisters, graduates, what weight are you carrying? that God is calling you to lay aside? What's slowing you down? What's hindering you from running that race? So before we watch that next show or scroll through that next post or play that next video game or hang out at that next party or stay that extra hour at work or drink that next glass of wine, let us ask ourselves, does it Help me run. Now, the second hindrance that we must cast off is what the author calls the sin that clings so closely. In other words, we all, or another translation I should say, says the sin that easily entangles us. In other words, we all have sins uh, that we're most vulnerable, we're most susceptible to, that we're easily entangled by. For some, they don't particularly maybe struggle with lust, but they're so tempted to look for security and peace in food instead of God. One person forgives easily and quickly while another struggles with holding resentment and bitterness. One constantly compares and compares and looks down on people while another is self-pitying and self-loathing. We all have our particular weaknesses, our thorns, our sins that hinder us from running. And the encouragement for us here is to, to, to make a decision, to make a sincere effort, a strategic effort to lay them aside to put them away, to cast them off. If you struggle is pride, consciously pray for and take opportunities to exercise humility. If your weakness is overeating to to find peace and security, be intentional about what foods we bring into our homes. If you waste too much time on media, whatever form it takes, put time restrictions on your phone. Whatever our particular besetting sin is, we're called to to lay it aside, cast it off, and in Paul's other language, elsewhere, put it to death. What's that besetting sin that's entangling you over and over again? It's time to run the race to lay it aside. So far then, okay, to finish the race, we need divine, powerful motivation And we need focus, which comes by removing distractions and hindrances. And now in the last part of verse 1, we find our third need. The author writes this, and let us run with endurance. Endurance, the race set before us. And so the third need we have to finish this race is a character trait. An attribute called endurance. That's what it's called here. 
And actually, this word in Greek, which is the original language, it's, it's made up of a prefix uh, that means under and a suffix that means to remain. And so etymologically, the word means to get under something and remain and persist and continue. And so uh, for the athlete, endurance uh, looks like finishing that last sprint at the end of a, a hard basketball or soccer practice. Uh, even though you feel like throwing up, it looks like finishing that last rep on a heavy squat or persevering through morning practices when you didn't get enough sleep. It's just that ability. It's just that ability to get under something that's uncomfortable, you don't want to do, it hurts, and you don't give up. That's what endurance is. And according to this passage, Christians need it. They need endurance. Christians need this ability to pick up heavy loads and take a step forward and another step forward and another step forward. Listen, we all know it's easy to start something. It's easy to start a diet. It's hard to finish it. It's easy to start a Bible reading plan until you get to Leviticus. <laughs> it's easy to start. It's so easy to start following Jesus. It's hard to finish following Jesus. And that's why in Luke chapter 21, verse 19, when Jesus was talking to his disciples about the persecution to come, he tells them this. Listen to what he says to them. 21, 19, by your endurance, same word, by your endurance, this ability to get under a low, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. In other words, according to Jesus, without this trait of endurance, without this ability to get under a load and carry it, you won't finish. You won't gain your life. So the question then is, how do we get it? How do we get this all-important character trait? And the answer Scripture gives it's simple. Suffer. Suffer. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3, Paul writes, We rejoice in our sufferings. And for the Apostle Paul, he's saying, I take joy, I take gladness, I take hope in getting beaten imprisoned, humiliated, rejected. I rejoice in my sufferings, and Christians do as well, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Same word. And so I wish there was an easier way. But there isn't. The way we develop the ability to endure is by enduring. And it's the same for athletes. If they don't get uncomfortable, 
if they don't push themselves, if they don't work through pain, they won't develop endurance. And it's the same for the Christian. And this is why we can rejoice when suffering comes, and it's coming. It's producing in us a character trait that we need desperately to finish the race. Now, the fourth and final need revealed to us in this passage is found in verse 2, okay? So look there with me. After urging us to run with endurance, the author says, verse 2, looking to Jesus. Now, the verb uh, here translated as looking, it's not the ordinary Greek word for just to describe like the basic act of seeing or using your sight. In other words, this is not just taking a glance at Jesus. This verb means to give constant attention to Jesus, to not take your eyes off Jesus. Hence, the NET translated keeping our eyes fixed fixed on Jesus. And a crucial observation, a crucial, crucial observation for us to note is that this verb looking is functioning. The way it's working within this passage, it's functioning to describe the the manner or the means in which we run with endurance. Put another way, it tells us practically Practically, how are we going to run with endurance? How do you do that? Answer, fixing your eyes on Christ. That's the answer he gives. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, saints, that let us run with endurance by trying harder. It it doesn't say uh, run with endurance by being more disciplined. It doesn't say by praying more or reading our Bible more or fill in the blank with your favorite spiritual discipline or whatever. Now, of course, all these practices will help us run the race, but yet we're told here that what's most important, where we should put our greatest, our our most concentrated attention is not on an activity. It's not on a bunch of doing and striving and working, but it's on a person. It's on Jesus. And according to this text, that's how we run the race. That's how we lay aside every weight and sin. Now, to be transparent, one of the reasons why I love this passage and why I especially love talking about single-minded focus and endurance is because, you know, that's, that's how I try to live my life. I'm constantly maybe even obsessively trying to just cast it off, cast it off, remove it, whatever's hindering me, uh, so I can run this race, and I'm, I'm focused, and I'm ambitious, and I'm trying really hard. And for me, this looks like not having social media. It looks like praying and reading my Bible every day. It looks like disciplining my body by training with heavy weights. I know you can't tell. Um, often starting before 6 a.m. in a cold garage during the winter with Kayla Ruda. Uh, I regularly take long, long extended breaks uh, from watching media in general. I mean, one time, I think I went a whole year without watching YouTube or a show or a movie. Whole year, guys. My wife and I, we keep our TV in the basement, and we bring it up occasionally. It sits in a dark corner. Uh, I strategically eat 
to have the most energy for study and sermon prep. In my free time, I'm usually reading a book on how to grow and maximize my time. Brothers and sisters, I want to run the race. I really do. With single-minded intensity, with focus, with diligence, with discipline. And I tell you, all this activity I do, all this self-discipline, all this self-control means nothing when I take my eyes off Christ. I have no joy in it then. I have no vigor, no life, no passion. I need to see Christ (laughs) if I'm going to run like that. And the same with us all. If if we're not daily refreshed (laughs) and recharged by just beholding uh, his greatness, if our hearts aren't warmed by his steadfast love, if our fears aren't stilled by his peace, if our sins aren't forgiven by his grace, none of it matters. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the way we finish the race. And and that's why, that's why this text says what? He's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the source. He's the source. He's He's the originator. And he's the goal. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. And in the same way, Jesus, for the eternal everlasting joy set before him. In the same way, he looked to the joy that was to come and he endured the cross, despising its shame and rising from the dead, being seated in glory, so shall we. So shall you, graduates, if you keep your eyes fixed, fixed on. He is our hope. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look to Jesus and we need you to show us him, Father. Show us his glory. Show us his peace. Show us his power. Show us his steadfast love. We need to see Christ, Father, to lay aside sin and weights that bear us down, Father. So, Lord Jesus, now, we ask, Give us grace according to your mercy. Grant our graduates grace and everything they need to finish this race. God, we want to see them in glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.